loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the privilege of life. And we also thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity whereby we can fellowship with you. As we go through our devotion, we ask, Lord, that you be with us in the person of your Holy Spirit. We are preparing for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know that we need to have characters that are fitted for heaven. Therefore, Lord, we ask that as we go through your words now, that you would work in us and add the building blocks to fit our characters for your kingdom. Grant to us your spirit that we may understand your words, that we may rightly divide the word of truth. Grant to us the grace and put your words in my lips, Lord. Consecrate me to your service that I may speak words of blessings to your children, that we all may be built up, edified, strengthened for the journey that we have here on earth, that at the end we may be prepared and be with you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, August 15. Humility, true or false. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. These holy beings sang forth the praise and glory of God with lips unpolluted with sin. The contrast between the feeble praise which he, Isaiah, had been accustomed to bestow upon the Creator and the fervid praises of the seraphim astonished and humiliated the prophet. While he listened to the song of the angels, the glory, the infinite power, and the unsurpassed majesty of the Lord passed before his vision and was impressed upon his soul. In the light of this matchless radiance that made manifest all he could bear in the revelation of the divine character, his own inward defilement stood out before him with startling clearness. His very words seemed vile to him. Thus, when the servant of God is permitted to behold the glory of the God of heaven, as he is unveiled to humanity and realizes to a slight degree the purity of the Holy One of Israel, he will make startling confessions of the pollution of his soul rather than proud boasts of his holiness. In deep humiliation, Isaiah exclaimed, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. This is not that voluntary humility and servile self-reproach that so many seem to consider it a virtue to display. This vague mockery of humility is prompted by hearts full of pride and self-esteem. There are many who demerit themselves in words, who would be disappointed if this course did not call forth expressions of praise and appreciation from others. But the conviction of the prophet was genuine. The seraphim before the throne are so filled with reverential awe 
in beholding the glory of God that they do not for an instant look upon themselves with self-complacency or in admiration of themselves or one another. Their praise and glory are for the Lord of hosts. They are fully satisfied to glorify God and in His presence beneath His smile of approbation. They wish for nothing more in bearing His image, in doing His service and worshipping Him. Their highest ambition is fully reached. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Humility, True or False? And what we have to study for today, I just pray that the Spirit of the Lord will impress on our hearts deeply the importance of this subject. And I also pray the Lord be with me as I speak. We have been looking at the account of the life of this man of God called Isaiah. Isaiah was a man of God beholding the iniquity of the people of Judah and was preaching so strongly against it, crying woe, woe, woe to everyone who was doing iniquity. And while doing this, the Lord singled him out for a rare experience. Scarcely has any man been able to behold the presence of the Lord in the way that Isaiah beheld it. Apart from himself, Moses, Ezekiel, John, and Daniel, there are very few others I can remember that had this kind of experience. Like I just mentioned, just Moses, John, the beloved, Isaiah himself, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Now, in Isaiah 6, reading from verse 1, let us see the account of Isaiah beholding the presence of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Amen. In the earlier part of Isaiah's ministry, before the divine vision he just received, he preached so powerfully against sin. He cried, Woe, woe, woe. He said, Woe to those that call good evil and evil good. 
Woe to those who mix strong drink and drink wine early in the morning. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial and the tablet and pipe and wine are in their feasts. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity that say let them make speed and haste in his work that we may see it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Woe Isaiah was crying against the people of Judah. I wonder how they were able to bear it. It was a good message anyway. But on beholding the holiness of God and the awful majesty of his throne and the train of the seraphs which were before the Lord, Isaiah was, was filled with a dread for himself and cried. Instead of woe to the people, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In Conflict and Courage, page 222-33, paragraph 2, we had read, These holy beings sank forth the praise of and glory of God, with lips unpolluted with sin. The contrast, because we're trying to see now, what is it that made Isaiah to say, woe is me? Here it is. The contrast between the feeble praise which Isaiah had been accustomed to bestow upon the Creator and the fervid praises of the seraphim astonished and humiliated the prophet. While he listened to the song of the angels, the glory, the infinite power, and the unsurpassed majesty of the Lord passed before his vision and was impressed upon his soul. In the light of this matchless radiance that made manifest all he could bear in the revelation of the divine character, his own inward defilement stood out before him with startling clearness. His words seemed vile to him. End of quote. What does this tell us about Isaiah? When he exclaimed, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, was this an evidence that he was just as guilty of the same sins which he rebuked in the lives of the people of Judah? Was his confession when in the presence of God and he fell as one dead and confessed that he was a man of unclean lips an evidence that he was a wicked profligate like every other man in Judah? Is that what it shows? Not so at all, my brothers and sisters. What Isaiah confessed here was a genuine humility. This is what we see in the life of Isaiah. This is what will be revealed in the life of every sanctified child of God. The humble soul, when in the presence of God, will always feel its nothingness. It is not because Isaiah looked at himself and saw something that he said, Woe is me, but it is because he beheld the majesty of God and the holiness of the seraphs and of God. Reading from Youth Instructor, June 5, 1902, paragraph 9, it says, this, this is what happened to Isaiah here now. It says, The nearer we come to Jesus, and the more clearly we descend the purity of his character, the more clearly we shall see the exceeding sinfulness of sin, and the less shall we feel like exalting ourselves. Those whom heaven recognizes as holy ones, are the last to parade their own goodness. Men who have lived near to God, 
men who will sacrifice life itself rather than knowingly commit a wrong act, men whom God has honored with divine light and power have confessed the sinfulness of their own nature. Take note, those words are key. Have confessed what? The sinfulness of what? Their own nature. I'll continue the reading. It says, They have put no confidence in the flesh, have claimed no righteousness of their own, but have trusted wholly in the righteousness of Christ. So will it be with all who who behold the Savior. Amen. End of quote. Look at these words carefully that the nearer we come to Jesus, the more clearly we see our holiness. No. The more clearly we see the purity of his character and the more clearly we see the excellent of sin and the less we will feel like exalting ourselves. And he says that we will not want to parade our own goodness. Parading one's own goodness. What does that mean? It means that we firstly will feel that we have no sin in our lives and evaluate ourselves to be doing just fine. And then we start to speak and act in this mindset. That's what it means to parade one's goodness. You feel like there's no sin in your life. And then, that's in the mind first of all. But then, it will now start to show in your words and actions. You see, it's not the act itself that is the parading of one's own goodness, but it's the motive that prompts the act. This is what made Jesus say about the Pharisees that when they prayed in public, they were hypocrites. It's not because public prayer is bad as some people think, but because like Jesus said, it was the motive. Jesus said that they were doing it to be seen of men. That is what made their public prayer to be a hypocritical one. Another example of a sanctified life is the life of the man called Daniel. When we are looking at true humility and false humility, you see the Pharisees as false humility. True humility is talk of people like Daniel, John the Beloved, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Moses. These people displayed a humility that was genuine. They were not saying, I am undone because they just want to say, you know how people go to church and say, oh, I am your humble servant. Those kind of proclaimed humility that statement i am your humble servant or they say oh i am unworthy just the one that like we read in the devotion that is the forced humility or like it says here it is that voluntary humility and servile self-reproach that so many seem to consider it a virtue to display this vague mockery of humility is prompted by hearts full of pride and self-esteem there are many who demerit themselves with words who would be disappointed if this course, that is, they are demeriting themselves with words, did not call forth expressions of praise and appreciation from others, but the conviction of the prophet was genuine, end of quote. What does that mean? Some people are proud of their humility. Is that a humility? No. That humility that you are proud of, where you are displaying your humility, well, I, am, I am your humble servant, I am not worthy, and yet you are acting proud, and you are wishing that people will praise you for being so humble. And you receive praise for it. That is false humility. The humility displayed by Isaiah and that what we see now in the life of Daniel. That is true humility. Daniel is described as a man with an excellent spirit and one in whom the spirits of the gods dwells. He was also privileged to see the glory of God a good number of times. But when we view the life of this man, we see true humility, a humble man who thought very little of himself. Let us look, for example, in the book of Daniel 9, when he was praying for God to help his people out of captivity. 
The people of Judah had been in captivity 70 years. Daniel from day one had been in that place. Even before the uh, the 70 years, be, be, he was among the first people that went for that captivity because there was a siege in Jerusalem for three times. Nebuchadnezzar plundered Jerusalem. The first siege Daniel was taken. And later on, Jerusalem was destroyed. And while he was there, 70 years had approached and daniel prayed listen to his words daniel chapter 9 i'll read from verse 2 to 4. it says in the first year of his reign i daniel understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the lord came to jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of jerusalem and i set my face unto the lord god to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes and i prayed unto the lord my god and made my confession and said o, o lord the great and dreadful god keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments now notice that daniel is not confessing his people's sin verse 4 he said i prayed unto the lord my god and made my confession what is he confessing if it is his confession he's confessing his own sins but this is a man who the bible does not record one sin against him he is the one called a man with excellent spirit. He is the one who the people said, this is a man in whom the spirits of God dwells. Even the angel of the Lord, when uh, appeared to him, he said, Oh Daniel, greatly beloved. Daniel was a famous person in heaven. They knew him well. He's someone they talked about very often. The angels of God knew Daniel. They were acquainted with him. They called him a man greatly beloved. But Daniel was not even aware of his goodness. He saw sin in his life. And you'll be asking, what sin did Daniel see in his life? He could see himself that he was not what he ought to be. He was not conscious of his righteousness. He had sins to confess. This is evidence that Daniel was indeed near Christ. If we come to a position where we cannot see sin in our lives and are conscious of our righteousness, do you know why it is so? It is because we are not drawing near to Christ. That is the evidence that you are far from Him. Because if you were coming near to Christ, you will see more clearly of your own corruption. Let us see Daniel's prayer. Daniel continued to pray now. Verse 5, he said, We have sinned and have committed iniquity. Now take note, Daniel is not saying this just to sound like he's humble or we have sinned. He believed that he was part of the sinners. He was not just saying we have sinned. Like, now we read, oh, Daniel said we have sinned. So when I want to go and pray, I'll say, Lord, oh, look at the world. We have sinned and yet I have not seen the sin in my life. That's deception. That is the voluntary humility that we just read about. No, Daniel believed that he was part of the sinners. And he said, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled. And even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets which speak in thy name to our kings our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land o lord righteousness belongeth unto thee but unto us confusion of faces as at this day to the men of judah and to the inhabitants of jerusalem and unto all israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee and daniel continues in his prayer to talk about his sin and the people of judah he doesn't separate himself and say i have not sinned the people have sinned he says we he says us that's what he keeps on saying and he says in verse 8, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, 
and also in verse 10 he says neither have we obeyed the voice of the lord our god to walk in his laws reading from the book the sanctified life page 47 paragraph 3 concerning this daniel's prayer it says the man of god was praying for the blessing of heaven upon his people and for a clearer knowledge of the divine will the burden of his heart was for israel who were not in the strictest sense keeping the law of god he acknowledges that all their misfortunes have come upon them in consequence of their transgression of that holy law he says we have sinned we have done wickedly because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us the jews had lost their peculiar holy character as god's chosen people and he continued to pray so in another instance daniel was fasting and praying for 21 days in the book of daniel chapter 10 and here again we see him fall before the lord in that humility genuine humility it says and the four from verse 4 of daniel 10 it says and in the four and twentieth day of the month of the first month as i was by the side of the great river which is hidekel then i lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of rufas his body also was like the burial and his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet like the like in color to polished brass and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude and i daniel alone saw the vision for the men that were with me saw not the vision but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves now listen verse 8 he says therefore i was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and i retained no strength yet heard i the voice of his words and when i heard the voice of his words then was i in a deep sleep on my face and my face towards the ground amen what does this mean daniel means that what he beheld of this being made anything that looked like holiness in himself to become corruption you see there are levels of holiness daniel as he came nearer to god couldn't see anything in himself that he could plead as righteousness he felt as corrupt as the filthiest of sinners in daniel 10 verse 10 to 12 it now reads behold and hands touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands and he said unto me o daniel a man greatly beloved and in verse 12 he said unto me fear not daniel for from the first day that thou didst set thyself thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before the lord thy words were heard and i am come for thy words amen look at daniel saying that his comeliness turned him to corruption that is anything that he looked like holiness or righteousness in himself became filthy in his eyes but yet the angel is telling daniel you are a man greatly beloved what does this tell us about the humble person the sanctified life it tells us that if you are sanctified and if you are really holy you will not even be conscious of it you will not see in yourself anything to glory about reading from the book the sanctified life page 50 paragraph 2 and i'll be reading downwards so that we understand what true humility is it says all who are truly sanctified will have a similar experience that's an experience that's just like what daniel had it says the clearer their views of the greatness glory and perfection of christ the more vividly will they see their own weakness and imperfection they will have no disposition to claim a sinless character 
that which has appeared right and comely in themselves will in contrast with Christ's purity and glory appear only as unworthy and corruptible. It is when men are separated from God, when they have very indistinct views of Christ that they say, I am sinless, I am sanctified. What great honor is shown, now page 51 paragraph 2 says, what great honor is shown to Daniel by the majesty of heaven. He comforts his trembling servant and assures him that his prayer has been heard in heaven. Going down in page 52 paragraph 1 it says, Daniel was a devoted servant of the Most High. His long life was filled up with noble deeds of service for his master. His purity of character and unwavering fidelity are equaled only by his humility of heart and his contrition before God. We repeat, the life of Daniel is an inspired illustration of true sanctification. Amen. What does this all mean for us? Was Daniel pretending to confess his sins when we heard him say, I was confessing my sins and, and was saying, we, we, have, we have sinned against you? Is it that he couldn't see something in his life and was just saying it with his words? Was he confessing sins that did not exist in his life? Was he pretending to feel like his comeliness turned to corruption, whereas there was no cause for this? Daniel did not see himself to be corrupt because of something he saw in himself but because of something that he saw in Christ. Look, if we are studying our own good works, we cannot say, woe is me like, that, like Isaiah did. If we are looking at self alone, we will not have cause for our comeliness to turn to corruption. But the nearer we come to Christ and behold his perfect character, we will see things in his life, not our lives now, but in his life that will make anything which we call holiness in our own lives to pale into insignificance. There is so much that we see in Christ that will make our comeliness to turn into corruption. For example, many comfort themselves with the thought that they do not partake in this sin or in that sin and they feel good about themselves. You may even go through a whole day and say, what is the sin I've committed? I've not committed any sin. Why? You know why? Because you're just examining yourself and you're looking at yourself alone. But as we come near to Christ, we see one who did not just live a sinless life, but who even recoiled at temptation. Let me just give an example. Let's just put it this way. Let us say a lady, just listen to this illustration. A lady has two men she's acquainted with. One is a prince, a noble man, gentle, loving. He's fun to be with. He's also kind. Then there is another man who asks her hand in marriage. He's rough one who has even beaten her and threatened her before whenever they have any disagreement he uses force on her and when they have any disagreement he abuses her mentally and with words now these two men come to her and says will you marry me then she looks at the two of them and then she's having a struggle to decide and then she takes moments and moments and she takes time to contemplate on which is the better option for her she doesn't know what to choose she wants both of them but knows she can choose only one after a hard battle in her heart she finally chooses the prince <laughs> wow what would you see about this lady would you not consider the fact that she even wasted a second to contemplate would you not consider that a fault on her part? 
You see, this is what we see in Christ and in ourselves. For us, when we experience temptation, we struggle to stay away from it. Temptations without find an answering cord within. But in Christ, we see someone who sin is loathsome to him. His very nature recoils at sin. When we see his holiness, we are compelled to say, Woe is me. The very fact that we even struggled, you know, that lady that I just said now, who was choosing between the prince and that ruffian, and that, uh, that person who was uncouth, who is very aggressive and violent towards her, the very fact that she contemplated is what the sanctified life will see that as a sin. That lady represents me. It represents you. We struggle. We contemplate in our minds to commit sin. We struggle with it. When the temptation comes, it's a hard battle for us. Why is it a hard battle? Because we are drawn towards it. We actually want to sin. We love it. We only stay away from it because we are denying ourselves the sin. It is pleasurable to us, but we we just recoil. We, we turn away from it. Not because we don't love it. Not because we, it's so bad and loathsome to us, but because we are just denying ourselves. But when we come to Christ, oh, it's a different picture. We see one who hates sin. We see one who the temptation in itself is a loathsome thing to him. He is not even having any love for it. The sanctified life will confess his sinfulness the sinfulness of his nature do you remember us reading that that we will confess the sinfulness of our nature the very fact that we even struggled reveals an inward corruption in us which will make us feel like the dirtiest sinner there is in the humble sanctified life we will confess the sinfulness of our nature we will confess that we even struggled in the first place that it was hard for us to decide to do right also in the sanctified life as we come nearer to christ sin begins to appear in its true light many things which others may pass by as being all right will be viewed by us as exceeding sinful by but this is not the kind of sanctification that we find in the world today are you understanding what i am saying do not go through a day and say oh i did not commit sin and you start to feel like you're righteous do you know that the very fact that you even contemplated it the very fact that you are even just practicing some self-denial shows that you are corrupt inside you you are corrupt i am corrupt there are things that i struggle with today i still love them sin is still pleasurable to me and to me the very fact that i love these things and that i struggle makes me feel oh no there's still corruption inside me the sanctified life when we come closer to christ this is just one example i'm not saying this is what makes a sanctified life alone to feel its humility and to feel its corruption this is just one example there's still much more you will see the sinfulness of your nature you are not going to be saying out there i am sinless i am righteous i have gone through a day and i did not sin did you struggle does the sin still appear as a pleasurable thing to you is it something that you when the thought comes into your mind you struggle to put it away it is not it is not abominable to you it's pleasurable 
that alone should be a reason for you to understand that you are corrupt let your comeliness turn into corruption because of the fact that you still even love sin even though you stay away from it but you love it you just stay away from it because you read in the word of god that you should not do this and you should not do that and you're just denying yourself were it to be for your own will you will still commit that sin you are just denying yourself but when we come to christ oh my it is not out of a self-denial that he stays away from sin he hates it we need to come to that place where we hate sin the sanctified life understands oh i see in myself there is corruption i still love sin i just stay away from it because i know i should i'm denying myself but more than this even when we come to the place where we are hating sin as you come nearer to christ you will still see your comeliness turn to corruption are you one who you still see something good in yourself that is because you are not near to christ if you come to a place where you say I do not see anything sinful in my life. Or you go through a day and you ask yourself, I, I've gone through one day, I cannot see sin in my life. It's because you are not near from Christ, you're near to Christ. It is the evidence that you are far from Him. Like I said, this kind of sanctification, this kind of humility is not what we see around us in the world today. Reading from the Sanctified Life, page 7, paragraph 2 and down what it says. There is in the religious world a theory of sanctification which is false in itself and dangerous in its influence. In many cases, those who profess sanctification do not possess the genuine article. Their sanctification consists in talk and will worship. Those who are really seeking to perfect Christian character will never indulge the thought that they are sinless. Their lives may be irreproachable. They may be living representatives of the truth which they have accepted. But the more they discipline their minds to dwell upon the character of Christ and the nearer they approach to his divine image, the more clearly will they discern its spotless perfection and the more deeply will they feel their own defects. When persons claim that they are sanctified, they give sufficient evidence. By the way, you don't have to say, I am sanctified. You just need to say, I can't see any sin in my life. I'm, I, I don't see any sin to confess. That's what we are saying here. The more you say that, you have given sufficient evidence that you are far from being holy. Continuing, it says, they fail to see their own weakness and destitution. They look upon themselves as reflecting the image of Christ because they have no true knowledge of Him. The greater the distance between them and their Savior, the more righteous they appear in their own eyes. End of quote. You see, if anyone can say that they have reviewed their lives and they cannot see any sin, we can safely conclude that such a person is far from Christ. Far from Christ. Like it says here, the greater the distance from Christ, the more we will able, we'll be able to go through a day and say, I have gone through this day and I cannot see any sin in my life. So what is sanctification now? Sanctified Living, page 9, paragraph 1, it says, the true sanctification is an entire conformity to the will of God. Rebellious thoughts and feelings are overcome and the voice of Jesus awakens a new life which pervades the entire being. Those who are truly sanctified will not set up their own opinion as a standard of right and wrong. They are not bigoted or self-righteous, but they are jealous of self, ever fearing lest a promise being left them, they should come short of complying with the conditions upon which the promises are based." End of quote. So, in the sanctified life, they will never come to a satisfaction where they say, I am reflecting the image of Jesus. I cannot see in my life any sin. There is that constant fear 
in the sanctified life. And what is the fear? The fear that they will not meet up to the standard. The fear that they're still seen in the life. The fear that I still have the inward corruption in me. That fear that there is still that love for sin or that it will awaken again. That is how the sanctified life is. He doesn't ever come to a position where he says, I have arrived. Now I have reflected the image of Jesus. Reading from the book Sanctified Living Again, page 11, paragraph 1, he says, While those who are self-confident and trust in their own perfection of character lose their false robe of righteousness when subjected to the storms of trial, the truly righteous, who sincerely love and fear God, wear the robe of Christ's righteousness in prosperity and adversity alike. Self-denial, self-sacrifice, benevolence, kindness, love, patience, fortitude and Christian trust are the daily fruits borne by those who are truly connected with God. Their acts may not be published to the world, but they themselves are daily wrestling with evil and gaining precious victories over temptation and wrong. Solemn vows are renewed and kept through the strength gained by earnest prayer and constant watching thereunto. The ardent enthusiast does not discern the struggles of these silent workers, but the eye of him who seeth the secrets of the heart notices and regards with approval every effort put forth in lowliness and meekness. It requires the testing time to reveal the pure gold of love and faith in the character. When trials and perplexities come upon the church, then the steadfast zeal and warm affections of Christ's true followers are developed. Going now to page 12, paragraph 2, it says, Those who take pains to call attention to their good works, constantly talking of their sinless state and endeavoring to make their religious attainments prominent, are only deceiving their own souls by so doing. A healthy man who is able to attend to the vocations of life and who goes forth day after day to his labor with buoyant spirits and with a healthy current of blood flowing through his veins does not call attention the attention of everyone he meets to his soundness of body. Health and vigor are the natural conditions of his life and therefore he is scarcely conscious that he is in the enjoyment of so rich a boon. Thus it is with a truly righteous man. He is unconscious of his goodness and piety. Religious principle has become the spring of his life and conduct and it is just as natural for him to bear the fruits of the spirit as for the fig tree to bear figs or for the rose bush to yield roses. His nature is so thoroughly imbued with love for God and his fellow men that he works the works of Christ with a willing heart. All who come within the sphere of his influence perceive the beauty and fragrance of his Christian life, while he himself is unconscious of it, for it is in harmony with his habits and inclinations. He prays for divine light and loves to walk in that light. It is his meat and drink to do the will of his, fa- of his heavenly Father. His life is hid with Christ in God, yet he does not boast of this, nor seem conscious of it. God smiles upon the humble and lowly ones who follow closely in the footsteps of the Master. Angels are attracted to them and love to linger about their pathway. 
they may be passed by as unworthy of notice by those who claim exalted attainments and who delight in making prominent their good works. But heavenly angels bend lovingly over them and are as a wall of fire round about them. End of quote. This is what the sanctified life is like. This is true humility and this is what our lives are to be like. Daniel when he prayed was not conscious of his goodness. He was not conscious of his righteousness. Others who see him will say, oh I want to be like this man. I wish I was like Daniel. But Daniel will be saying, what are they seeing in me? I am seeing my corruption. I am seeing the sinfulness of my nature. But others will be looking like the angel of God and say to him, oh Daniel greatly beloved but Daniel himself doesn't understand what is so greatly beloved about himself do you know why it is because he does not stop to look at himself he is constantly beholding Christ and if we want to have that sanctified life we are not to stop to look at ourselves and our good works and recount them and say oh look at how much I spent for God in evangelism look at how much time I have put into doing the work of God look at how I gave this man money look at how I helped that beggar on the road look at how I gave that brother some money to pay the school fees for his child look at how i did this and did that and then you feel good about yourself and then you lie down upon your bed and to be recounting your good works and you are smiling at yourself and you are happy for yourself and say oh i have grown uh, look at what i am today look at how good i am that shows that you are far from christ the very fact that you can look at self and congratulate yourself shows that you are far from christ many of us do it in our minds we congratulate ourselves for the things that we consider our good works and we say oh it's not easy i did this i did that look at the amount of sacrifices i have made look at this that i have done i have built this for the lord i built this sanitarium i did this school i i, I dedicated myself to this or that work for the lord i blessed this person i helped that orphan i helped that widow and we keep counting our good works and then you feel good about yourself and even when you want to talk of humility you are only doing that voluntary humility that is disgusting it is that type of humility which we read about in our devotion today that is full of pride a humility that several self-reproach that many seem to consider a virtue to display but it will show that you are not sanctified because you will have pride when people don't praise you you feel bad when people don't don't say good things about you or they don't recognize your good works then you start to feel bad about it shows shows that or just a praise now it's not as if people acknowledging appreciating is bad people need to appreciate good things of course what i'm saying here is you want to be noted for your righteousness you want to be noted for your humility you want people to talk about it that shows that you are far from christ the true sanctified and humble person like daniel will not even take note of it they will not even be conscious of it you will not be aware but you know what you'll be aware of you'll be aware of your sins and as you come nearer and nearer to Christ, the world, that which appears okay to them, you will be coming closer to Christ and sin will be appearing more sinful to you and you cannot even tell the world, oh, this thing is a sin. Why? Because they cannot understand. The level that you'll be coming to as you come nearer to Christ, sin will be appearing more sinful to yourself and the world will be feeling good about themselves but you will be seeing corruption, more corruption in yourself. That which on the surface the world feels, oh, I am righteous, because they are looking at the surface of the commandments of God, but you would have gone deeper and deeper into the commandments of God and you will feel like a sinner for things that the world are doing and they can scarcely say to themselves that they have sinned. I don't want to mention things that are examples of this because for some people, there are certain things that it doesn't look sinful in their eyes. 
you know why you're not coming near to christ there are sometimes i mention some things here and i'm not saying this because i'm saying no this this is appointed to myself a sanctified life far from it no but there are certain things that if you are coming near to christ you will see that this thing is a sin i mentioned things like for example competition these are things that when i mention in some places they look at it and like how can you say competition is a sin you are far from christ that's why you cannot understand the nearer you come to Christ, I just mentioned only that one as an example, but the nearer you come to Christ, sin will appear exceeding sinful to you. And you will look at yourself in such a light like the worst sinner. When Daniel said to himself, my comeliness turned to corruption, it is just like you feel about the person who is a serial killer. It's just like you feel about yourself when you see yourself degraded into the dirtiest kind of sin. Daniel felt like he was the dirtiest of sinners when he came before Christ. The sanctified life also experiences that. The sanctified life doesn't say to himself, Oh, I am righteous. His righteousness is in Christ. His righteousness is not in his good works, but it is in that coal of fire. That lively coal that was put on Isaiah's mouth. That is what he's depending on. It is that strength that was supplied to Daniel when he fell down as dead. That is their dependence. It is not dependent on their personal works. But their righteousness is drawn from heaven. It is drawn from Christ. They are clothed with Christ's righteousness. And any good works done by Daniel or by Isaiah or by any sanctified person amounts to nothing. We are all depending on the righteousness of Christ. This is what true humility is. And it is my desire that these words will help us to examine ourselves so that we see the need of coming nearer to Christ, that we understand what a sanctified life is and what true humility is. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, I pray that these words that have, spoke, that have been spoken will come to the hearts of all who have listened to bring us to a greater nearness to you, to help us to understand how far we are from you, what true humility is and how we can be indeed sanctified. Please help us, Lord. We need this sanctification. Not that we want to be conscious of our own righteousness, but we want to behold the righteousness of Christ constantly. That we may indeed, not just lying in our words and saying, Oh, my comeliness turned to corruption, but we may indeed see our comeliness turned to corruption. That we may see in ourselves sin as we come nearer to Christ. And as we come nearer and nearer, Oh Lord, may we see less in ourselves that we can exalt. May we see more of our own corruption and say like Isaiah was, is me and lord please touch us with that lively call and strengthen us that we may receive the righteousness of christ is my prayer in jesus name amen